Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. I'm going to go ahead and invite everyone to stand, if you can. If you can't, that's all right. I promise I won't take offense to it. I'd like to welcome everybody to Cap City Church this morning. It is great to have you with us. Uh, I'm just going to open with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into our worship service this morning. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you are. God, we pray your way in this place today. It is my hope and my prayer, God, that we would just encounter you in a special way, that it would just be evident in everything that we do this morning, God, that you are in the midst of it, that it is to you, that it is for you. God, we long to be near you. Be with us now, and in your name we pray, amen.
I walk now through the fire. 
together once more. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you We're not enough unless he comes. Um, I hope that's a realization we constantly live with, that every day and every hour we need him. This morning we're going to continue our series on Advent. This week we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is Lord. And that really means that he is over all things. He has dominion and sovereignty over all things. And without him, we are not enough. Glad to be back here with you. I haven't got to talk to you in three weeks. Um, some of you may be happy about that, I'm not sure, but um, I'm glad to be back up here. Um, this is certainly what I was called to do, and glad to be with you here this morning. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 1, um, if you want to find your way to a passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. 
Um, just going to talk through some introductory material here as you find your way there. I, I wonder what comes to your mind this morning when we hear the word preparation. Um, we talk about Advent ex- with expectancy. We, we, Jacob did a great job with that last week. Advent has the idea of expecting something, but expectation requires preparation. What, what types of things do you prepare for? I wonder what comes to mind as you think about what you might prepare for. If we grew up playing sports, then you would spend all week practicing to play. Um, it, in preparation for in school, it might mean that, that studying meant getting ready for a big exam, right? We expected something, so we prepared for that event. If we're trying to lose a, a few pounds, we might try something called meal prepping, right? And by prepping, we mean preparation. If you haven't heard of this idea, it's where you go buy all your food, you make it all, you put it in separate containers so you have it all week, and then at the end of the week, you throw away the half that you didn't finish eating, right? That was for those people that have done that and understand how that works when it's just a lot easier to swing through the drive-thru on Thursday. Yesterday, I was walking through the house and looked at Allison and said, by the way, like we, we've been far too busy um, since we moved down here. I, I think it was last week, yeah, last Saturday, um, I told her it was the first time our whole family had been home on a Saturday since July, um, so that's sinful and we shouldn't do that anymore. Um, so yesterday we were at home just kind of, well, I say we were home, uh, the kids went and made some cookies with Meemaw for baking time uh, for the Christmas season, um, but I said, hey, we have, we're hosting parties at our house for the next three Saturdays. Like, I don't know how excited anybody else gets about that. Like, hey, we're having people over this Saturday and next Saturday and next Saturday. Um, so some of you are going to be there for some of those things. So just remember that and be, be prayerful. Um, but we, I looked there and said, hey, we, we've got to get prepared. We've got to get prepared. And, and so it's easy this time of the year to be distracted um, by the preparations for what is coming. Now, I don't know what that looks like for everybody when it comes to holidays, but we do clean the house to prepare for guests. We purchase gifts for upcoming celebrations. We, we take photos of the perfect, for the perfect greeting cards, which must be mailed at just the right time in order for themselves uh, to get to where they need to be um, for our friends and be on people's refrigerators and doors and wherever else you stick those things when you get them. So what about Jesus coming again? What's preparation look like? If he's truly Lord, what does preparation look like? It could be kind of an odd thing for us to think about preparing for Jesus. I think Jacob did a great job last week working through the idea of our, our attitude towards his coming should be one of expectation in the sense of being able to show God what we've done instead of being fearful for the fact that he might show up and catch us as we are. But in our text this morning, Mark chapter 1, this is exactly what they were being called to do by John the Baptist. John was declaring in the wilderness to the children of Israel, he was pointing them, the people, away from himself and toward the coming of a Messiah. He urged them to be ready to make straight paths for him because the Messiah would be coming soon. Let's look at our text here this morning together, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is right at the beginning of a new book of the Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, second book in the New Testament. So the introduction here is to tell us that this is the beginning of a new book of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem as well. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, the nasty, disgusting, dirty Jordan River. 95 degrees, very clean if you're ready to get baptized, right here. And they were confessing their sins. Verse 6 says, John was clothed with camel's hair. At that time, wearing animal skin might not have been as exotic as it is today, right? He's dressed in camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. And I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, I know we're not enough unless you're here with us. And so we do pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. I think about as John preached this message of repentance to the people, that as they came to him for water baptism, for these physical manifestations of things to come, for the repentance of their sins, that his instruction given to them is that they should seek the Holy Spirit. And God, I think about how so frequently we seek so many things before we seek your Holy Spirit. God, would you fix that in us? Would you reorder that in us? Would you shape our perspective this morning to recognize that Jesus is Lord and how that should change the way we're preparing for him with great expectation? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've all seen, I'm assuming, the movie Elf, right? Uh, show of hands, have you seen the movie Elf? Right, seen the movie Elf? Okay, it depends on how old your kids are and where it comes up, but... Um, uh, there's a scene in the Elf. I was going to bring up the video. I think we're just going to put up a picture for you, though, so you can kind of relate to it uh, a, a little bit this morning. The Elf had been, uh, he finds out that he's a human. Will Ferrell playing Buddy the Elf. He, he finds out as he lives in the North Pole when he's so much bigger than all the other elves um, that he's really a human. So he wants to go back and meet his father, and he travels to New York City, and he's, he's working in a department store. And, of course, Buddy the Elf has this pre-existing relationship with Santa Claus. He knows him a little bit better than everybody else does, right? And so in this scene, we see the manager of the store just nonchalantly as they're wrapping up the end of the shift, saying, hey, everybody, make sure that you're here ready to go in the morning. Tomorrow Santa, Santa's coming. And if you've seen it before, right, it looks something like this. And Will Ferrell screams, Santa's coming. I know him. I know him. And he gets incredibly excited, and everybody else is like, who is this idiot? It's just Christmas, dude. We all know Santa Claus isn't real. Buddy the Elf then goes on that evening to prepare the store, right? He goes through, and he decorates, and he makes all these wonderful things. They come in the next day, and they can't believe what's happened because it's important to him to prepare the way for Santa Claus. It's interesting how exciting, excited you might get about something when you understand the ramifications of what's taking place. So most of you know that I coach, uh, I coach high school golf. One of my golfers is here. I won't even look in her general direction to not embarrass her. But we, we, when we were playing this year, um, something happened that was pretty cool. It's tough because when you're a coach, you don't want to sound like you're boasting about your wins. But honestly, if you understand golf... 
Like, and most of you are like, we don't, Jonathan. We think you're weird because you play. So, like, you guys watch basketball and football and baseball, and you go, hey, the coach makes a difference. Like, he, he, plays the, like he calls the plays, right? He, he, tell, he decides which players to put in. And, you know, I'm like, hit it straight and hit it far and, like, don't hit it into the trees and, like, try to make the putt. Like, I can't do too much. Like, the coach isn't important, so I don't mind boasting on the team a little bit. But three times this year, three different times this year, one of our girls, three different girls, hit a putt on the last hole of the tournament to win the match. Like, do you know how cool that is? Like, that's a pretty wild thing for that to happen. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you clapped because that's just going to help this illustration so much more. I mean, I was like inside, I was outside of myself, like excited. Like, they weren't like, oh, we're beating the team like down the street. It was like, we were beating a big team from Dublin, we were winning the county championship, and we were winning the sectional championship. Those were the three tournaments that we won by a girl hitting, the, hitting a putt on the last stroke of the match. I remember the county match. One of the girls hit a putt, and I don't know if I shouted. I don't know if I screamed. You know, it was one of those out-of-body moments, right? Like, why did that happen? I might have clapped. I'm a, and she looked at me like, coach, don't make a scene. I wanted to be like, you know how big this is? You're a senior. You just made a birdie putt to win the county tournament. We weren't supposed to win today. And it's like, you know, golf clap, right? <laughs> like, don't get too excited. Like, when I tell you the story, it's more exciting than anybody was that day. I know they were loving it. I know they were having the time of their life. But for me, I, I was excited about what took place because I knew all the hard work they had put in. And I, I tried to preach to them that if we prepared, if we got ready, that the results would come. And when you get prepared, there's something worth being excited about. And this is what John was trying to say about Jesus. You've got to get ready. This isn't who you think it is. This isn't what you think it's going to be. He said, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I am, and I can't tie his shoes. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh, I thought the water thing was pretty cool. So it's better than that? John was crazy about Jesus. John was crazy about Jesus. In fact, the Bible takes special lengths to ex explain that he is crazy. You get that? Like you're not supposed to wear camel skin. You're not supposed to. See, every time I read that, I, I read locusts and wild honey, but to me, the locusts had to be wild too. I could get along with wild honey a lot more than I could wild locusts. He's crazy. And, and this called for a little bit of extreme excitement. The people had been waiting a long time for the promised Messiah. In order for them to get ready, John needed them to remember who they were and who the Messiah was promised to be. He starts by saying, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a great thought for us to consider as we baptize six people here in the last three weeks. And if you want to be baptized, we're baptizing a couple kids next week who have given their lives to Jesus. I'm pretty excited about that. Amen. But the second chapter of Joel, which they knew, 
right? We talked about Isaiah at the beginning of Mark. We're talking about Joel now. Joel was a prophetic book that was written over 500 years before Jesus would come, and the, the Israelite people would have been very familiar with this passage. The second chapter of Joel tells us that in the day of the Lord, he will pour out his Holy Spirit upon all of mankind. And so as John's preaching, some people are starting to connect the dots and say, oh, it's him. To say that Jesus or God would pour his spirit out upon all mankind speaks of a very high availability of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about really pouring something out, we are usually referring to something that is very excessive. Let me just help you with that a little bit. He didn't have a bottle where he was just going to kind of like give him a little sip. He wasn't going to sprinkle him a little bit, right? He wasn't going to put it in a bottle and squirt out the Holy Spirit. He was going to pour out the Holy Spirit on all of mankind. I'm not saying it doesn't take work. I'm not saying it doesn't take a surrendered life. I'm not saying it doesn't take obedience. I'm saying that it is available. He is available for everyone. And so when we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. John's saying, it's been so quiet for you for so long. When John comes onto the scene, the reason that he has to defer to Jesus and say, I'm not the one, is that it's been quiet for over four centuries, and they've been waiting to hear anything from God. And this is the closest that they've heard to, to the word of the Lord in a very long time. And so John says, hey, I just want to remind you that this water that I'm baptizing with you now, it's not about this, but instead this water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit that is going to follow around the footsteps of the one who you are getting ready to meet. And just as you have come up from this baptism soaking wet, he wants your entire heart, mind, soul, and body to be saturated with his Holy Spirit. John would go on to say, he is the one whose sandals I cannot untie. What John is saying here is, you think that I'm somebody important. So we just posed this question this morning. Church, do we find ourselves thinking that we are someone important sometimes? John is equating himself to someone who is not even worthy to be a servant of Jesus. We say, we know as Christians, we're supposed to say that we agree with John, but our actions show otherwise. Our thoughts of ourselves above all other things... Show us who we think we are. I know I've been quoting him a lot, and I honestly haven't been reading him. God's just been bringing these passages of, of reading uh, back to mind. Um, but Francis Chan talks about the way that Americans see themselves. He says that through our social media, we have entire pages like Facebook that are centered around us. Just, I mean, some of you are going to say, oh, my kids or my grandkids. But if you go to someone's Facebook, do you know whose picture you're most likely going to see? Theirs. That makes sense. If you go to Jonathan Barker's Facebook that doesn't exist, it would make sense for there to be a picture of Jonathan Barker. Because it's his page. It's his story. It's his site. Francis Chan says we have social media sites that are centered around us where we post our pictures and our people and our things or our accomplishments that we want to be associated with. 
It's as if we are continually carrying around a trophy case for our life. And with each update, we hold it in front of people and to all of our followers to remind them of how great we are. I know, that doesn't preach good. Our four-year-olds know what a selfie is. Selfie, from the Latin for the word selfish. Look at me. That's who we are. I'm not trying to beat you up too much this morning. If you try it, something that means you didn't succeed. I'm just punching right in the face, right? We live in a culture that has become completely preoccupied with making sure that people are paying attention to us. Our budgets and our calendars are so full we can barely fit God in when he's supposed to be the center of them. And so while I would love to be counted as one who bowed to wash his feet, I fear that our lives might more accurately reflect the disciples when they were arguing about who was the greatest. We're so unworthy of him, yet I fear our actions portray a viewpoint that God is hardly worthy of us. Church, listen to that for just a second. Let that sink in. I really believe that a lot of our actions, I know it to be the case in my own life, and I need to fix it and get it right in, in more places than I, than I have it currently. We can say one thing, right? The Bible talks about us saying one thing, but our hearts being far from him. There's a lot of times God's hardly even worthy of us. Not worthy of our time, not worthy of our money, not worthy of our, worthy of our relationship or making him a priority. John said, I don't even deserve to tie Jesus' shoes. So, both we, both us, this, us group here in the present 2022 Cap City Church, and those who were present before John, needed to hear a message that day about gaining a new perspective. A reordering of their lives and perspectives needed to take place in order for them to fully embrace who Jesus was. Their preconceived notions about how God was going to show up were being challenged. They hoped for someone who would free them from political oppression. But then John started talking about baptism by the Holy Spirit. Everything, everything about Jesus' arrival represented a paradigm shift of how God was going to relate to us and how we were going to move forward. In the Old Testament, the people experienced God as a divine commander-in-chief that abolished their enemies and helped them fight their military battles. And while some may have seen his coming as less than what they hoped for, the perspective of God that they held as a military general and conqueror should really have been adapted to a spiritual battleground that did not simply overcome military opponents, but rather would bring victory over the dominions of evil that kept them enslaved to sin and the flesh. I've had multiple conversations with people this week about spiritual warfare. And let me help you with my view about spiritual warfare a little bit. Some people come into church, you, you all don't know this. Sorry, let me get a drink. But depending on how you've been involved in the church, there's people that get here way before 1030 to make church happen and do things through the week and right, like there's people that work hard to make sure that we've got a place to come together and worship and fellowship together. Sometimes I even write my sermons before Sunday morning. Um, you walk in the church, you turn on the mics, the speakers, the projectors at nine o'clock and somebody up here 
um, starts to sing. This is where Audrin was, right? Like she's, yeah, she sings a lot better than I. Everybody give Audrin a hand. Didn't you enjoy Audrin today? And they've been here long enough to embarrass them. Look at Audra and Daniel. They match today. They look like a Christmas card. They just look awesome. <laughs> and I'm looking over at Audra and go, we didn't plan that. Like maybe it didn't happen. Me and Allison have done it before. Um, but she goes to sing into a microphone and all the, spe- all the speakers screech and make all these noises. Somebody goes, devil must not want us to worship today. What? That, because, we, because the speakers aren't working right? Well, we can't get the projector to turn on. He, he just, there must be a lot of spiritual warfare. That means something good's going to happen. No, it doesn't. Sorry. Some of you have said that, and you don't like that I'm beating you up for it. No. No. There is someone that is after your soul. The problem with speakers and projectors and all those things are our expectations what we think it takes to worship God we can still worship God here on Sunday morning if the speakers don't work that doesn't have anything to do with anything no there is a war for the souls of men and women and children there is a war that's going on and when we see these different things happening I've told somebody I, I've really quit talking about it or saying out loud I, I recognize it. I become cognizant of spiritual warfare. I see Satan moving and the way he tries to per- make discord among the brethren or the way that he tri- trips people up or the way that he tries to hurt families or break up marriages. I see that stuff, but I don't give him credit for it. We keep moving forward understanding that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. That when he died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, that he stomped on the head of the devil and that he has no power. But we want Jesus to do all these lesser things. I, get, I wish Jesus would. I, I, I'm just going to pray that Jesus fixes our government. Our government will never be fixed, church. No person, place, or thing is going to fix the government of the United States. Start praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not there, you've got to work on that. You've got to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that you can stand strong in the final day against the fiery darts of the devil. That's where your prayer life needs to be. Filled with the Holy Spirit, overcoming spiritual warfare and sin. They were not prepared for him because they had not prepared correctly. And so how do we change that today as we wait for him? We also can forget to prepare for the way of the Lord. How often do we consider the small or perhaps large shifts that need to take place in our lives for us to have the right perspective to embrace Jesus? How often do we consider the small or perhaps the large shifts that need to take place in our lives for us to have the right perspective to embrace Jesus? You are not trapped in your situation. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. There are other jobs. There are other careers. There are other answers. There are other perspectives. There are not other marriages. God can fix your marriage. There are other situations that can take place. You continually put excuses before God. You continually refuse to allow God to touch certain areas of your life. And then complain about why your life remains the same. You are not stuck where you are. 
That is a choice that you have made. God has plans for you, and he can answer your prayers abundantly and exceedingly above anything that you could ever think or ask. Most of what we are dealing with in our lives, most of what we have done has been self-imposed. He is a good God that has good plans for you. And if we, and, pri- and by the way, primarily it has to do with a sin or a weight that besets you. Some people like to say a sin that is a weight. No, let me help you out with this passage for those of you that are familiar. The Bible says that we are to put aside the sin and the weight that so easily besets us. There's just something in your life that's getting in the way of you serving God. And you continue to use it as a reason that you can't serve him further. Say, God, it's not a sin. No, it may not be a sin. But it's something from keeping you from experiencing the fullness of everything that he has for you. We ask God to come and be with us, but we make no room for him. And so sometimes we have to ask the question, God, what just needs to be moved out of the way? What needs to be reordered? The the people that day were listening to a message in the wilderness. And I love the wilderness stories of the Bible. I don't like when God has me in a spiritual wilderness. I like reading about other people's wildernesses. Our writer Mark today seems to be using the language of wilderness rather intentionally as a metaphor for life before the Messiah. He's saying, you're in a wilderness right now. You haven't heard from God in a very long time. And I'll tell you what, I think that would have preached well if they were standing in a wilderness as he was saying it. This wilderness hardship may have left them cynical. Can I talk to you about being cynical for a minute? It will destroy your faith. It maybe already has. You can get to a place where, based on your previous spiritual experience with God, you believe that faith is only what you've seen it to be. Maybe only what you've allowed it to be. You've allowed other people's uh, view of God to affect you in such a way that you've become cynical or sarcastic in so many areas of your life that faith can't take seed the way that it should. Satan wants you to keep your faith light. The people, when we're in the wilderness, we can become cynical. We can become weary. Some of you are worn out. My youngest sister, who we just prayed before the service over her daughters, who are a living, walking miracle, and God has great plans for them, and we we felt impressed to pray specifically over them this morning. She has a sign in her house somewhere, and Carrot kind of saved my life at the moment. It said, when you're tired, don't quit, rest. Sometimes you're just tired. Now, let me just, you're not confessing to a sin. You're not confessing to a sin. Just be honest for me. You ready? Get your honesty out, right? I know because normally you're just ready to lie. Get honest with me for a second. How many of you would just say, at le- I'm at least a little tired? I'm a little tired. Well, do something about it. Do something about it. Rest. Rest. Quit something. Like, I just told you not to quit. Take a rest. I mean, like, take a break for something. Cancel your plans for the weekend. Be okay with not being overstimulated for a couple minutes. Lay down and take a nap. Go away for a couple days. Jesus came and he said, I want to give you rest. So if you're experiencing something other than rest, I wonder where that's coming from. I don't think we can call Jesus a liar in saying that the burden that he's given us is heavy. 
We must be experiencing it from something else. And those wilderness experiences leave us weary and tired and cynical. In our areas of wilderness, we can be cynical or doubtful that God is still faithful. What cynicism does when it takes seed is it keeps us from believing the supernatural. So while many of us could relate to these attitudes that can leak in during the wilderness seasons, I thought this week of how God's presence was always a reality in the wilderness. See, the wilderness meant that they lacked for something in the physical. But God's presence was always a reality in the wilderness. He spoke to Moses on the backside of the wilderness. He manifested himself as a visible fire and cloud when they were wandering in the wilderness. God called Jesus and Paul to the wilderness to speak more clearly with them. And I wonder how many times in our wilderness experiences we, they, that we could or they should be interrupted as times, or excuse me, interpreted as times where God wants us to get to a place where we can see or feel nothing else but his presence. So many times we can't see or feel him because we won't stop seeing and feeling everything else. Could it be that he is simply waiting for a shift in our perspective to bring the message of hope that we so desperately need in our lives? We often can be so consumed by our preconceived notions about how God is going to work instead of allowing God to show up in unexpected ways. God always does his greatest work in ways that you're never going to figure out. If you've lived long enough, maybe you figure that out a little bit. That the more you try, I, sometimes I really wonder if when we try to figure him out, if he'll go, well, I'll just make you wait a little bit longer. I'll just wait and do it just a little bit different way. Some of you do. Some of you get on your knees, you pray, God, we fix this situation. And you go, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? I'll tell you what, I, I just love, some of my favorite, favorite imagery in, in scripture has to be, and I want you to just picture this with me for a second. Moses standing before basically an ocean. Let's just, you couldn't see the other side, right? It was, it was rough. And their enemies were right there on their backs to destroy them. That's it. They're done. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're dead. You're dead in the water. There's nothing you can do. Like, the whole thing's over. Moses just says, stand still. Stand still. In order for him to show himself as God, he had to put him between a rock and a hard place. He had to put them in a place where, I mean, unless two million of them who had been living in the desert their whole life somehow picked up swimming lessons at the Egypt YMCA, it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Church, the message this morning, I haven't done a good job at staying on point, was he is Lord. We get so consumed in our preconceived notions about how God is going to work instead of allowing him to show up in unexpected ways. I mean, just for a minute, would you let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, I've got a plan for you, and it's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. What is it going to be? No, you can't even understand it. You haven't even thought of it yet. It's so big, you can't even understand it yet. But you got to give me a minute. We get so smart. Man, I, I didn't even want to preach this morning. Deborah Charles did such a great job with it a couple weeks ago, talking about God's wisdom. But if you remember in the book of Job, Job is all just beat up, and he, he had right to be so. He's in way worse condition than any of us are right now. He starts to question God, and God goes, oh, I forgot, Job, you were born before I was. I forgot you hung the moon and the stars and, in the sky. You're the one that knows where I keep the rain and the snow. You're the one that calls down lightning and thunder. You're the one that talks to the constellation like their people and could pull down Orion's pants by loosening his belt. Go read God. He can be funny sometimes. 
I forgot, you're the smart one. Fill in the blank with your name there, right? I won't call anybody's names and mess you up any. You're the smart one. You're the smart one. Listen, receive this this morning. God will let you know what he is doing in your life when and if he believes you need to know it. God will let you know what he is doing in your life when and if he believes that you need to know it. In the meantime, it is simply our job to acknowledge that he is Lord. In spite of our perceived negative circumstances, he is Lord. In spite of our view about how we think things should be, he is Lord. In spite of persecution and tragedy and death and famine, he is Lord. When we think that we have control of the situation in our life, we need to remember that he is Lord. I'm going to invite Colton to come. He's going to give you a chance to pray. And, and I hope, I, I don't ever know what you all are talking about. We're trying to just be intentional about praying somewhere during the service as we feel God's leading us to. To not necessarily be regimented, but just whenever we feel like it's appropriate during the service to have a call to prayer. And so we're going to do that here in just a second. But Jesus doesn't want to just be the one who was promised in our lives, but he wants to be the actual Lord of our lives. In other words, there's nothing that you can do to change the lordship or the kingship of Jesus. He does reign sovereign over all, right? You think about a parent-child relationship. That parent is always the boss. I don't know about in 2022, but in theory, that parent is always the boss. It's the child's job to try to recognize that, right? Them disobeying, disrespecting, that doesn't change anything. Parents still the parent, mom's still mom, dad's still dad, trying to help you out, parents, this morning. But in our relationship with God, there's nothing that you can do to take him off his throne. There's nothing that you can do to change the fact that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God above. Nothing you can do. But this is important, and I'm, I'm convinced that the longer we live, we struggle with this stuff, Right? Church, as adults, as we get older, it's one thing. We, we grow in our faith, and we say that we believe these things, but I don't know about you. I don't like people dying. I don't like it. It's hard. God, why did it happen? Why at that age? Why in that situation? We all know it's going to happen, right? We all, I, I want you, can you all receive that this morning and just kind of say it within yourself, like, I know I'm going to die one. Maybe, maybe some of you need to be reminded of that somewhat, some, like a little bit today, like the ticker's gonna stop for all of us. He is, has been, will always be Lord of the universe. We have this gift in our life called free will. Jesus decided that we shouldn't be some robots that he just programmed to follow him. But by the way, if you have no choice, you have no joy. Do you understand that? Let me just give you an example to, to, to show you what I mean by that. You ever show up at something and somebody goes, hey, aren't you glad you're here? And they go, well, you had to be here. It doesn't mean anything for you if somebody shows up for you because they had to be there. It makes a difference when they choose to be there with you. Right? So we're not just finding joy in ourselves. We're bringing joy to the heart of God. There's no joy. There's no pleasure. There's no happiness. There's no peace without free will. That's the way that God designed us. 
And so one of those things that we have within our free will is to choose to say that Jesus is not Lord. And we do that by the way that we order our lives. I just got done reading all the little Johns, first, second, third John, there at the end of the Bible, right? You're all coming to the end of Bible reading plans for the end of the year. Those that know me do what I want them to do. They follow my commandments. They love me. We can't say that we love God and not be this. We can't say that we love God and not do this. Whatever it is, you have to choose to let him be Lord of your life. Every area, not certain compartments, not the ones that you're strong enough to surrender on your own, the ones, the parts of your life that you don't want to surrender to him. Those are the ones that he wants the most. It's the ones that he's waiting for with great expectation. We must be willing to leave the wilderness areas in our life and the places where cynicism and doubt have taken root. We must expect that just like God showed up in unexpected ways in the form of Jesus, God still shows up in unexpected ways today. We must humbly say, like John, that we're even unworthy to untie his shoes but still remain confident that we are asked to come to him. Christ continues to come each and every day into our lives as we invite him. Christ continues to want to speak truth to the world, and we, like John, can declare the word of the Lord and continue to make straight paths for him. Hey, we sang it this morning, church, and I had to stop. I had to stop and pray as we sang that second song today. One pastor said, there's never a place that we make Christians liars more than in the worship songs that we sing. You ever pay attention to what you're singing? I hope you do a lot. (sighs) But we were praying stuff like, if it puts me in the fire, I had to pause and go, wait a minute, God. I don't know how much fire I'm okay with right now. I need to make sure before I just keep singing these words that I really mean that. That every air mile, because you know what fire does? It burns up all the junk. We like to talk about fire with people shouting and running the aisles and camp meetings and people getting saved, and that's all good and well. But fire consumes things. And so when we pray for the Holy Spirit, the fire of God to come in, what we're really saying is, come and burn up all the junk in my life. That's a little different prayer, isn't it? Are you expecting God to show up in your situation today? Oh, sure, pastor, of course I am. Amen. How are you preparing? How are you preparing? Would you stand with me this morning? Jacob did a great job last week talking about how we shouldn't fear God's coming, but be ready to show him we've been working. God always shows up. Always. Man, I hope you know that with confidence today. Even when we think all hope is gone, God shows up. In fact, he's already working in your situation today. Are you willing, are you willing to reorder the things in your life so you can see him working as he truly is? Listen to me, church. I I know there's some that need to pray. We've got so many that are in bad shape right now. We've got sick people everywhere. Hopefully you're not here. Hopefully you're home watching online. I just... I heard somebody say something the other day, and I'll be very vague as to not repeat anything somebody said to me. They're just a little bit older than me, maybe in their 40s. And I I heard them just make a comment. 
I heard him just make a little comment, and it was kind of like, I'd kind of like to know what's next. I don't know where you are in life, if you're happy with where you are, if you're happy in your career, if you're happy in your marriage, if you're happy in your relationship with God in so many different areas. Expectation's a good thing, but it takes preparation. You don't win without practicing. You don't get an A without studying. You don't have a good marriage without intentionality. And you do not have the things of God if you're not willing to seek the things of God. There's too many places in our life where we want God to show up, but he doesn't have anywhere to come to. He doesn't have anywhere to come to. He doesn't see us in prayer. He doesn't see us seeking him in his word. He doesn't see us loving one another. Oh, but God, I wish you would just take care of that thing in my life that's kind of inconvenient. That's about where most of our prayer lives are, I'm afraid. I'm sure I've preached more than enough than I need to this morning. Would you just bow your heads with me? Father, this morning, would you help us, Lord, to prepare for the things that we expect to see happening? Lord, that if we believe that you're going to lead us into a new stage of life, that we would be able to be spiritually mature enough to receive those things. God, that we'd stop trying to figure you out. And we'd start figuring you in. Lord, I pray above all other things as we remember the message that we heard from Mark chapter 1 and John the Baptist this morning, Lord, that we would recognize that there's no greater thing that we could do than to seek the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, that we would get that, that if we say it week in and week out over and over, that maybe if people were just even misunderstanding it, Lord, that they would understand that your Holy Spirit changes everything. Lord, that we operate at a whole different level when you're in control. Lord, that new doors would be open. God, that circumstances that we think are impassable, Lord, that you open up those, those roadways in the desert and you make things come to pass. Lord, don't let anyone leave here hopeless today, but help them find hope in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that people would not leave here today without seeking help, without coming and kneeling before you and saying, God, I want to prepare the way for the Lord so that we can come with great expectation, declaring that you alone are Lord, and I want you to be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. i
Mike, good. Let me just give you this challenge here for a second. This is what's impressed upon me by the Holy Spirit right now that I want to share with you. I know coming to the altar is not something that maybe grabs everyone. But I know from experience, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you maybe have this right now. The Holy Spirit, when we talk about Him coming and so many manifesting Himself in so many different ways, and we talk about Him coming like a fire and burning up those things that need to go. There is something, I am sure, throughout this place in any individual's life that you know needs to go. You know it doesn't need to be there anymore. You know it's not helping matters. Some of you have gone away from it, come back to it. Some of you have tried and failed. Some of you are believing the lie that if that thing's not in your life anymore, things aren't going to be as good. I promise you, According to scripture, if the Holy Spirit wants it gone, things will get better. Things will get better. You can do it. In Jesus' name, I believe it. You can get away from that addiction. You can get away from that habit. You can get away from that hobby. You can get away from whatever that thing is that the Holy Spirit just put in front of you right now going, hey, I need this out of the way to work, and I've got big plans for you. I know too many people, and I, I could bring people up here and give you testimonies this morning. I wish I would have sooner. I wish I would have answered the call sooner. I wish I would have surrendered earlier. I wish I would have obeyed sooner than I did. I've never heard anybody go, I really wish I would have held on to that sin just a little bit longer. I really wish I would have surrendered to God just a little bit later. Right now, you don't have to come to an altar to do it. But I will say this, I think this is important as we live in the culture we live where we're very individualistic with our faith. You need to tell somebody that you're working on that decision. Say, well, they might beat me up. No, there's people in your life that love you. I'm one of them. But if you came to me, pastor, and said, I, I, need, I need to get away from this. Say, well, hey, you can talk to me. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll help keep you accountable. You can come back to me in two weeks and say, hey, I tried to get away from it. I'm still on my way. I'll say, that's okay. We'll keep praying. We'll keep believing. We'll keep going. We're in this together, church. There's a spiritual battle for the souls of men, women, and children, and the Holy Spirit needs to be able to fully consume our lives. Put it all in the altar. You will be happier. You will find peace. You will find joy and love by being filled with the Spirit of God. Let me pray that over you this morning. Father, I pray right now that you would give someone the strength, God, that you would give them the follow-through, Lord, to take that next step to say, I just want this. God, I believe these are good people. I don't believe that we're destroying America with our habits and our addictions and the different things in this place. I believe there could just be things, places where you're calling people to a higher calling. God, that there's just distractions that need to go away, just hindrances, God, that if we have any doubt about whether or not you want something in our life, that we would just cast it out in Jesus' name. Lord, will you strengthen this group of people? Will you help them to find one another, Lord, that they could hold each other accountable, that they could find community with one another? 
Lord, because I believe you've got a great mission for Cap City Church and the members that are here. I believe that you want us to do great and mighty things in your name, Lord. So we call upon the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us and fill us completely, Lord. To consume the things in our life that need to go that are being a hindrance, God, so that we can make way. And that we can make way and make the path straight for the one that's going before us, Lord. God, that others would not die and go to hell on our account, but that they would see Jesus in us and that they would know when they've come into a relationship with us that they can see you, God. God, let this burden be on all of us today. That whatever it is that we're, that we're holding on to, that it pales in comparison to the work that you want to do in and through us. Help us to believe this and receive it, God, and to move forward with it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated this morning, and I'm going to say goodbye to our group that's watching online. We're so thankful for our online audience. We know some of you can't be here because you're sick. We know a lot of you um, can't be here at all sometimes, or maybe, and we know we have a lot of you that watch from out of town, and we're thankful for that. Um, but we are going to say goodbye just so we can move through the rest of our service, and we're going to invite our ushers to come forward 